Hey there, Buffalo Bills fans, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Believe Podcast here on the Buffalo Rumblings family of podcasts. My name is John Boccasino. I am back in the air chair. So thankful and so grateful to all of our listeners, and especially to my esteemed colleague, Jamie D'Amico, for filling in the last couple of weeks when I was way less than 100%. I trust me, you did not want to hear my voice the last couple of weeks. And uh, you got to have Jamie and his entertaining takes filling in here. And Jamie, I want to personally thank you and welcome you to the podcast today, buddy. Buddy, it's good to have you back. It's uh, not easy doing those solo podcasts. And, you know, I'm not sitting here complaining because, you know, oh, woe is me. I had to do a podcast by myself. But the thing is, you've done it a number of times, far more than I have. It's not easy to just keep talking for 25 minutes straight. <laughs> Damn. <No reason. laughs> You're half wondering, like, what do I do? What do I say to make this like entertaining? And you don't have like the, you know, the other person to bounce off ideas or questions or comments and you know, we we try not to do the solo ones too often, but we do want to thank our listeners for sticking up with us uh, and, and putting up with us being solo the last couple of weeks. But the band and the boys are back together, much like the return of the blue and red practice at Highmark Stadium on this Friday. Jamie, I, I wasn't able to go because uh, my wife and I took a rare vacation down to uh, parts of the South, uh, Savannah, Charleston, did see a bunch of Bills fans and was repping the Bills gear down there and got a bunch That's of right. let's go Bills and hey Bills and you know, hey, 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 I mean, nothing like there's nothing in the world, Jamie, like being at a lowest of the low level minor league baseball game rocking Savannah bananas and Bills fans come up to you when you're wearing a Bills hat and just give you a fist bump. So I give it up to the Bills fans we met uh, on this trip south. Um, but we, we we missed the return of the blue and red. There were 39,000 people or so at Highmark Stadium for this practice. That's just unbelievable, my friend. Do you think the expectations are high this season or what? <laughs> Good God, man. I, I, this is the kind of thing that only happens when people are extremely excited about what's coming up in the season. And for good reason, right? I mean, Vegas loves the Bills. The world loves Josh Allen. The Bills, according to everybody, should have won the Super Bowl this past year. Well, now they have the chance to actually go out and do it. And that's what people are expecting. And I think, Jamie, that's been uh, and this isn't the main um, this is kind of alluding to the topic. We'll get to our our our, our podcast topic. We guarantee you're going to enjoy it. It's going to be a fascinating take between Jamie and myself. But of course, right, the, ex the expectations <laughs> are are sky high, like they are for every single Believe podcast here that Jamie and I put out for our lovely Bills Mafia listeners. And I think that that's why if you've read a bunch of the stories that have been put out by the Buffalo News, by the Athletic, by the Democrat and Chronicle. What you've noticed is like there's been more fights, it seems like, uh, in practice. There's been more of an intensity. And that's because this team is so darn focused on finishing the job that I think they're holding everybody to a higher standard than you know Bills fans might be used to, given those lofty expectations. Is it? Is that the reason the fighting is happening? Well, I think part of it is nobody wants to be, you know, training camp and and practices. I mean, let's be real to quote Allen Iverson. You know, we're talking about practice, not a game, <laughs> but practice. And like these are multi million dollar athletes along with, you know, veterans 
and players still making hundreds of thousands of dollars. And yet you got the kids who are fighting for roster spots and you got the veterans who are just like, all right, let me get through a training camp. But I've been reading a ton where it's saying that like the veterans want to be out there because they know that they can't slip up. They need to be working on all of their blocking schemes. The offensive line has a lot of pressure on it this year to really show that the progress made the second half of last year was no fluke. And I think these Bills players to a man would tell you they realize what opportunity was squandered last year. And that's why I think they're really mega focused on all these attentions to detail to make sure that, you know, they pull off perfect practices. That's my, that's my two cents on it. Well, okay. And I see that. I also think that, and this is something that I should perhaps save for later in the podcast, but I think that there may be a certain amount of riff between certain players on the team. Really? Um, yes. I'm going to have you put a pin on that. I think that's a pretty good segue into our, our topic here. Uh, I did want to mention, yeah, it was great seeing the the return of the blue and red and all the fans at Highmark, and it was a great opportunity for all the kids you know, to get autographs and pictures and pose with their players, much like they've done at St. John Fisher. But we are roughly a month out from the start of the regular season. And as Jamie alluded to, sky-high expectations for these Buffalo Bills. They have the highest win total in Vegas with their projections. They are the preseason Super Bowl favorites. Josh Allen is the preseason MVP favorite. They added the supposed missing piece to the defense with Vaughn Miller. The Bills have done a lot to address the areas of concern that their fans had, you know, after the debacle in the playoffs and looking forward to this 2022 season. On this week's Believe, I'm naturally an optimist and Jamie is naturally a pessimist. We, to put <laughs> things lightly, we, we, yeah. we, we are going to challenge ourselves here with our topic this week on Bill Leave. And here's what it is. We want to discuss what could hold back the Buffalo Bills from reaching their lofty goals this season. We all know that the Bills, it's Super Bowl or bust. Let's be real. It, the Bills have to win the whole dang thing this year just based on the way the salary cap, the way the roster is constructed. There's a ton of pressure on this team. So, Jamie, lead us off. Give me your number one, whatever top pressing concern you've got. What is the biggest thing keeping you up at night that could hold back these Buffalo Bills? Okay, so I'm not going to say injury because that's that's obvious, right? In, injury is what can hold every team back every season. One of the things that is keeping me up at night, though, is a lack of development. And there are a couple of positions where the Bills need players to develop beyond what they were previously. So take the right-hand side of the offensive line. You've got uh, Ryan Bates and you've got Spencer Brown. Spencer Brown coming off of back surgery. You know, he's trying to get back into shape. What if those guys do not continue to develop? Ryan Bates, we may have seen the best of him. He ended up cashing in four to six really good games. Well, okay, I'm even going to step back here a little bit. He cashed in on four to six games of above average play, but not substantially above average play. And Spencer Brown had his ups and downs. They need to play like second-year starters, like guys that are putting a, a step forward. 
I think that's a really good place to start. So give give me, you know, so is it is it the development of because Spencer Brown, if you recall, had I don't think people expected anything of, of Spencer Brown last year. And when he was right. put into the starting lineup, I believe it was the Houston Texans game was the first week where he drew a starting nod. And he was such a pleasant surprise that his ascension really kind of came out of nowhere. And then he came down with COVID much like Deion Dawkins had before the year started. So I think that's something that's got to be taken into consideration. Jamie, a little bit um, is that, you know, the, these players like that, that injuries are one thing, but coming back from COVID and the possible lung damage and the issues with your respiratory respiratory systems, like those are no joke issues to have to try to bounce back from. Absolutely true. But there's another side to it, which is, there was more tape on Spencer Brown than there was previously, which means the defensive players that were going up against him, the opposition had a better idea of what he did well and what he did not do well. And one of the things that he did not do well in uh, in his time on the field last year is he didn't have a great hand punch and had trouble with allowing the defenders to get into his shoulder pads in you know on his chest. Usually the first player to the body of the opposing player on the line ends up winning because think about it. If, if I hit you in the chest before you hit me in the chest, I've probably at least stood you up by an inch or two. So suddenly your momentum is going in the wrong direction. My momentum is going in the correct direction. And it was very clear when you looked at tape of him at the end of the year, that's exactly what defensive players were doing. They were hitting him right on the sternum, making him stand up and lose leverage. So that is something that can probably be worked out with coaching. But it's a concern that maybe he doesn't catch on the technique as quickly as you'd like to see him. Because we get... We have been spoiled watching Josh Allen, who might be the most coachable player in the history of the NFL. He rarely makes mistakes multiple times. Other players aren't quite as good at really kind of weeding out the the bumps in the road. So we'll see. Is he a quick learner or does he take more repetition to get there? That's an interesting place to start uh, when it comes to causes for concern, reasons that keep you up at night when thinking about the Buffalo Bills. And Jamie, I really appreciate you going in depth a little bit when it comes to your selection, because I agree in the fact that I feel very concerned about the offensive line in general, and nothing that's Mm -hmm. happened uh, during the preseason has done anything to alleviate my concerns. You know, this is an offensive line. The Bills are banking, of course, like you said, on Ryan Bates taking a big step forward and proving that what he did last year wasn't just a fluke. I do want to say one of the reasons I feel like uh, you should have faith in Ryan Bates is how well he performed under pressure uh, last year. Mm-hmm. You know, Bates last year went from being the swing guy who you could plug at center, you could plug at the guard positions. Um, he was a versatile bench player, and now he's being thrust into the starting lineup. But I feel like for a journeyman like Bates to get that opportunity to prove that he's a starter, I think he's A, going to relish uh, the challenge, but B, he did perform extremely well last year. Do you know that of all the guards in the NFL who played at least 400 snaps, 
no one allowed fewer pressures on the oppose on the quarterback than Ryan Bates did. And that's amongst some really, I mean, you're talking like Joe Thune and Kevin Zeitler and some pretty prestigious guards. Ryan Bates was better than all of them uh, for people who had more than 400 snaps last year. So I feel like that this is like the opportunity you've been waiting for your whole life. I'm, I'm not worried about Bates proving his development. What I am worried about is one of the key offseason acquisitions for that offensive line, Roger Saffold, who has mm. shown, I mean, he, he was a vital member of those Tennessee Titans when Derrick Henry was rushing for almost 2000 yards, uh, leading Tennessee to the playoffs and the number one spot, you know, last year. But this fluky car accident that he was in with the rib injuries, that's something I do not want. I know we talked about injuries. Don't mention injuries because every team's going to have them. But this is different, though. This is. This is not an on-field soft tissue injury. This is not an ACL tear. This is an off-field incident that is unfortunately causing a lot of concern on the offensive line in general. And here's what I mean by that, Jamie. The Bills and their offensive line, it's patchwork, you know, right now. I mean, yes, we know Deion Dawkins and Mitch Morse and Spencer Brown and Ryan Bates. Those are four members of the Bills who did have experience playing together last year. But what's the biggest thing that people talk about when it comes to a new offensive line? It's gelling and it's continuity. Continuity. You need to practice together. You need to be on the field, in the trenches together blocking the Ed Olivers, blocking the Von Millers, blocking the AJ Epinesas, and going up against your starters in those essential practice sessions. The fact that the Bills projected starting offensive line has yet to practice together, and we are now entering our more midway through our second week of training camp at Fisher, that's a major concern for me. Well, there's another side even to that coin, which is the depth is not playing well. It's not. You've got Questenberry out there who's getting his butt handed to him by Von Miller. What you want is your depth pieces to put up a decent fight. You don't want to hear about your your backups being pummeled by Ed Oliver. You want stories like, yeah, Ed Oliver's going to get his wins because he's a great player, but you know, so and so, you know, they they put up a pretty good fight. That's not what you're hearing. Yeah, you're right. It has the reports have not been very positive um, so far, and I do think a lot of this, and this is also going to be a segue to one of the concerns I'll mention later on. But I do feel like the Bills, to to their credit, uh, Aaron Cromer came in as the new offensive line coach, and he has been doing his best with this banged up offensive line. And there's 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 some players who have really performed. Admirably, I think I don't want him starting, but I think Tommy Doyle is is having a better than expected for someone who was really viewed as a developmental prospect and a raw prospect coming out of the University of Miami last year. I think he's doing a decent job. I don't want him again as the number one, but he's been doing a decent job stepping up at the tackle position in place of Spencer Brown. Now, I just I just don't know. I'm sorry. In place of Roger Saffold, but. I don't necessarily know how this is all going to play out because this is just I think it's it's actually beneficial, I think, for Buffalo's backups on the O-line to get these reps because you're getting a chance to see the pecking order. You know, you're getting a chance mm-hmm. to see what you've got. And 
Maybe you feel more comfortable. I mean, David Quesenberry has not been terrible. I mean, he's been getting pushed around a little bit. But like you said, when you're going up against the Von Millers and the Ed Olivers and they're handing you your lunch, well, you're also going up against future Hall of Famers. So, you know, I would like to see more successes, but I'm not as worried about how they've performed themselves. I think it's actually good to know what you've got and who are those key backups and then I think you're seeing a differentiation between the the twos and the threes. You know, Cody Ford is not standing out. What else is new? Um, <laughs> Greg Mance has really been seeing more time, I think, as a second team center, uh, more so than the guard position. So that might give you some perspective and to where McDermott and Bean view him uh, filling in. But I think you're right that there is some concern for the depth and how they're performing. But maybe this means the Bills will be scouting the waiver wires to see who gets cut during the roster cutdowns because there is going to be some talent that's released from these other teams that might prove to be more worthwhile and valuable than, say, the Luke Tenudas. I know he's a rookie with a better chance of making it. Um, than like a Cody Ford type. Yeah, and it's not just cutdowns. You have to consider that the Bills might be willing to give up some uh, mid to late round draft picks for players on other teams that you know other teams may have an abundance at a certain position. And the Bills don't want to let that person get to the waiver wire. They want to pounce on it. And you know, Brandon Bean has always been very good at figuring out how to trade in uh, an unneeded chip for something that can work out for them. I mean, yeah, we, we've seen it a couple of times. It's only really blown up once in his face. Yeah, that being the Wyatt Teller train, I'm assuming you're referring to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like it's 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 a it's a concern for sure. That, and we've talked about this, I mean, from the beginning of the offseason, the offensive line depth was a major issue and a major concern. And as, mm-hmm. as long, I think Bill's fans should be happy with, the starting five. I still want to give Spencer Brown all the benefit of the doubt. I want to believe Roger Saffold can keep it together for one more year at age 34 and return to that pro bowl level of play. And that Ryan Bates is going to really continue his uh, ascension, if you will, into a very solid starting guard uh, for this Buffalo bills team. But I think the depth is definitely concerning. And this goes into my other, my next big concern, and I want to ask you the question that we talked about briefly with the offensive line. When you're seeing Von Miller or Ed Oliver or AJ Epinesa or Greg Rousseau run over and run through the offensive line, it's a double-edged sword. Is it more of a testament to how well the D-line is playing or more of a concern over how the offense, offensive line is performing? Same question mm-hmm. with the cornerbacks because that, Jamie, to me, I am very concerned about the Buffalo Bills cornerback depth. I have been calling for them to sign Joe Hayden for the last four months now. And I get it. If you're Hayden, you don't want to sign until you absolutely have to because you don't want to go through training camp. You have nothing left to prove to make a roster spot. Like if you sign Joe Hayden, Joe Hayden's making your roster. Like that's just Mm -hmm. a guarantee in my mind. But when Christian Benford is getting all this praise for really being Buffalo's <laughs> second best cornerback behind rookie Kyir Elam, that scares the crap out of me. It really does, because we saw Dane Jackson having issues last year. He did some things well, but other 
times the guy found himself getting burned, especially when he was asked to do anything in man-to-man coverage, which, you know, the Bills are mostly a zone team, but that doesn't mean they play exclusively zone. You can't do that. So I wonder if a lot of this is trial by fire and the Bills are not giving their young cornerbacks safety help that they normally would be giving during the season. Maybe it's along the lines of, hey, we're just going to put you out on an island with our starters and let you take your lumps. That said, as I have already stated, what you want to hear is they're going up against great receivers like Stefan Diggs, but they're holding their own. Well, that is not the case. In fact, Kyer Elam sounds like he's flopping his way through training camp right now. Yeah, I mean, so, he's been getting burned, you know, yeah. left and right by Stefan Diggs, um, Dane Jackson, you know, Gabriel Davis. Now, again, this is I think I think it's a little of a a little of column B, but Gabe Davis was described as being virtually unguardable during the blue and red practice on Friday night. And Josh Allen wanted to put on a show for the offense and for the fans. But when Case Keenum comes in and is then also directing you know, touchdown drives in the 11 on 11s and hooking up with his wide receivers against the Dane Jacksons, against the Cam Lewis's, against the, you know, the guys who were expected to step up, the the, the Nick McLeods. It has not been a great training camp for Buffalo's right. corners. And that's why I feel like the Bills really could be in the market to sign a veteran like a Joe Hayden. You know, it's really, I mean, did you see that one? a route where Stefan Diggs made Dane Jackson fall over by getting juked out of yes. his cleats. I mean, yes, Diggs is an all pro talent, but this is not a rookie in Dane Jackson. This is a guy who should be hungry for a chance to grab a starting role. And he's just getting posterized out there. It's, it's really not good. And I, I didn't realize that having Trey White out there covered so many warts. And at the end of last season, it didn't seem like the Bills were in a bad position with their corners. But Levi Wallace, are we actually to the point where we're missing Levi Wallace, a guy who we always felt was expendable? It's it's something to ponder for sure, because this cornerback spot, um, the C- I, I, now I, I will say this, I will give way more leniency to Kair Elam. You know, he is a a, a legit rookie, still a high prospect. He still impressed the Bills brass during OTAs and mandatory mini camps. Like he's I think he's getting his welcome to the NFL moment. You know, you're talking about two of potentially the top 12 to 15 receivers in the league that he's having to go against and have this conversation with me in a couple of weeks before the season starts. And I'll probably sing a different tune that Elam is routing into form. But it does worry me the rest of the cornerback depth that, again, Christian Benford is playing his way into the starting lineup out of the not-so-football powerhouse known as Villanova. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge? That takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. 
and Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. I would like to take my concern, my next concern, over to the other side of the ball, but in the same sort of fashion. I am potentially concerned about Gabriel Davis. Really? I am worried. Yes. We may be overrating this guy. Recency bias. That means people are biased toward what they have seen or experienced most recently. And most recently, we saw Gabe Davis go off in the playoffs, setting a record for yardage and touchdowns in a game. But, my friend, he only has 70 receptions for his career. And people are out there saying things like, well, if he gets fewer than 80 receptions, it's going to be a disappointment. Well, you know what? This goes back to the development thing that I was talking about before. Gabe Davis does not run a full route tree. And I'm concerned that perhaps he is not the player that we are anointing him to be at this point. The Bills have lost a receiver by letting go of of Cole Beasley, who caught 85 passes last season. That is very difficult production to match. And I realize that it's sort of a combination of you have to you have to aggregate what Cole Beasley and um and Emmanuel Sanders did last season and ask yourself, can uh can Jamison Crowder and and Gabriel Davis combine to come up with that amount of production? But then you don't have Gabriel Davis on the bench. As you're like number three receiver, number four receiver, wherever we're putting them. Yeah, I'm concerned that we are vastly overrating Gabriel Davis, who, frankly, I don't think he's a top 20 receiver in the NFL yet. And you put him at 12 to 15, didn't you? I did. And I listen, you are part of the problem, <laughs> sir. <laughs> Damn you, Bacasino, and your recency bias. Um, I, here, here's why I think, and I, I get it. Like I've asked myself, you know, and we did, I did a solo pod on the topic about Gabe Davis, you know, and his ascension. And of course, is it, is it scary to see how quickly he is rising up, you know, fantasy wide receiver draft charts and the wide receiver rankings in general? It is, it's extremely concerning to have a guy who really, I mean, his, his best productivity came after week 12. You know, I know he was on the field and had a touchdown mm-hmm. catch in week one, but he wasn't targeted any more than twice in weeks two to week six. But I think that's a testament to what Gabe Davis has had to go through to get to this point, the patience, like learning that your time is going to come. And I think the work he's put in with Stefan Diggs this offseason, with Josh Allen this offseason, and yes, you could say that, oh, he was unguardable in the red, the blue and red practice, but that's because the Bills' corners are down a little bit. I actually believe mm-hmm. a legitimate 100% the reason for Davis standing out so much 
is he's taking that next step in his development, in his maturation. I think he's aware of the criticisms of not being a complete route runner. And from what I've read, he's been working on that fastidiously this offseason. He has been constantly watching tape. He's been working on his foot speed. His foot speed, Jamie, for somebody who added 17 pounds this offseason, going from 210 to 227, that to me makes him even more unguardable because you can't push this guy around. He's still quick with his feet. He's still quick off the line of scrimmage. And he's got a great ascent to go to the tip of the ball at its apex when he's coming down with the catch from Josh Allen. I think... I'm so glad you worded it that way, by the way. One of my biggest pet peeves is when announcers are like, he caught the ball at its highest point. I'm like, no, he did not catch the ball at the ball's highest point. (laughs) I pointed his leap. If he caught the ball at the ball's highest point, he would have been 30 yards in the air. And and, and last I checked, (laughs) nobody can leap that high. (laughs) Well, now that Michael Jordan is retired. Oh, man. Yeah. Bring his ups in there. But uh, no, I I think that. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, no. You're good. You're good. I think it's a valid concern. But I'm going to throw something at you that I think is going to help with Gabe Davis. And you talked about, besides what I mentioned about his offseason work and preparations, you hit on a point that I feel like is we're seeing now. The Bills fans who were worried about Cole Beasley's departure. And, okay, Emmanuel Sanders was great for the first half of the season. He was a ghost. Yeah, until he got hurt. Exactly. He he got hurt, and then his productivity dipped precipitously. I'm going to tell you right now, don't worry about the receptions being lost from Beasley and from Emmanuel Sanders because Jamison Crowder and a youngster named Khalil mm-hmm. Shakir, who has been fa nominal so far this offseason with the Buffalo Bills. I know he's a fifth rounder. I know there's some question marks, but man, Jamie, what I've seen from Shakir, he's not only going to contribute to this team. I think he has a potential to be what Cole Beasley was in his prime, if not better with the way he runs his routes and the way he catches the passes and goes after the catch. I have been so impressed with this fifth rounder out of Boise State. I love that you are putting on your pessimism face, and this is what you come out with. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I did did give you a couple. I mean, look, the corners and the offensive line, major red flags, but I'm just telling you what what it is when it comes to Shakir and and, and the eye test for a fifth rounder, much like what we're Mm -hmm. seeing with, you know, Christian Benford, he is exceeding expectations so far. And that's an area where, like, if you can have – a guy like Shakir step up. It means you can have Crowder for this year. And then I believe he's gone uh, after this year. Right. And that means you can have the money to pay to some of the other free agents that are coming up down the pike, knowing that you've got that talented weapon in the slot uh, in Khalil Shakir. I just think he's done a really good job this off season. Um, But I will say too, that, you know, in a Josh Allen offense, man, there's so many opportunities. I mean, you're talking about like, who are you going to slow down? Who are you going to try to contain of all the weapons that Allen has at his disposal if he has the time to throw? Yeah, absolutely. And I've loved the great press coming out about Shakir because you need to be able to draft well. If you're not drafting well, these contracts that become top-heavy because you you when you draft well originally, you bring in players that you have to give big contracts to. Well, you got to keep backfilling it because you can't you can't pay everyone, so you got to find people to take their place. And Shakir, he's great on contested catches. 
Um, I wonder if he makes a lot of contested catches because he doesn't do well with separation, but that doesn't seem like the issue in camp so far. It seems like he has a great feel for getting open, and I'm enjoying seeing it, man. I'm really enjoying that. Oh, absolutely. It's been a a very fun progression to watch the rookie come along and really come into his own. I do want to, Jamie, talk a little more negativity, though, because we are we'll do one more uh, here on the pod. We've been talking about reasons for concern. So give me your third reason for concern, your third thing that keeps you up at night when it comes to the Buffalo Bills this year. Well, this is what I alluded to very early in this podcast. And the thing that's keeping me up at night is going back to the fighting. And I am concerned that this isn't just them getting tired of beating on each other as they do in training camp. If you go back to that playoff game that the Bills lost in overtime against the Chiefs, reports were that Stephon Diggs was going nuts yelling at the defense and really was making a scene. He was blaming them, and he had to be calmed down and players had to be separated. That's what we heard about the locker room. I'm a little concerned that that has carried over a little bit because when you saw that Diggs was involved in a scuffle, word on the street is that the entire defensive sideline came running over. Well, you don't want to see that. That tells me that, okay, maybe they're being competitive, but maybe there are some divisions in that locker room and you need to rectify that. I know it's human nature to when you are split up into separate groups to compete with those groups. And by nature, offensive players and defensive players are are separated and they compete against each other in practice, but they need to be able to overcome that and pull together as a team. And I am hoping that all the positive reports we've heard about Stefan Diggs being a great teammate are true and that they can push through those issues. I think, yeah. So I I think that that that's a a fair point to bring up about the scuffling and the fighting. I I think a lot of the the fighting though also comes down to boredom too. You know, like you want to hit somebody. And when that major fight happened with Josh Allen, it was their first day in pads and you know there's there's some egos at play you want to hit each other you want to get all physical but i don't know Jamie i'm not i'm not as worried about that because it would be one thing if the bills had brought in a bunch of new bodies to compete um to go up and and try to win roster spots but there has been so much continuity on this roster that i think the players know each other they know their tendencies and maybe that's where some of the frustrations uh, come from. I'm hoping. I hope. You know, every training camp has fights. The very first training camp I ever saw, Carwell Garner and somebody, I think it was Monty Brown, got into it where they're grabbing each other's face masks and throwing each other around. There was no issue there. Every training camp, on every team, they get into fights. I just, something that could derail the season is if the chemistry isn't what it needs to be, that's something that could go wrong. I, I can see that point, though. I do see where you're coming from, especially the Bills have an incredibly challenging schedule uh, this year. You know, I, I do want to mm-hmm. say that, you know, <laughs> the Bills last year, you know, they, they, they had their, their, their tough spots on the schedule. Um, they really struggled at seven and six before closing out the regular season strong to get the second straight AFC East championship. But they did have the easiest schedule in the league. 
They faced only six teams that made the playoffs last year, second fewest in the league, and only won two of those six games. And they were just four and six when not winning the turnover battle. That feeds into my third concern. And I don't mm, I like it. I don't like to say this because I like him as a person, but I am very concerned about Leslie Frazier. Hmm. Here's why. Explain. I am very concerned about Leslie Frazier's defense and Leslie Frazier's defensive game planning and what he, there is a lot of pressure on Mr. Frazier. And again, I love Leslie Frazier. I love what he brings to this team. I love his fire. I love his energy, but I don't like the game plan adjustments and the in-game adjustments. We have seen a couple of times now during his tenure as defensive coordinator, when Sean McDermott has had to come in and say enough is enough. I'm going to come in and I'm going to either call the plays this game or design our scripts up because we have been not performing to expectations. I worry about Leslie Frazier's ability to come up with a good game plan to take on some of these aerial attacks that we're going to see in the AFC this year, especially knowing that the cornerbacks are struggling. And as encouraging as it's been to read the reports of Greg Rousseau having a breakthrough and being a real pain and a menace for Buffalo's offensive line, we know the Bills are going to be better with their front seven. But in the back, with Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, they both suffered injuries. Hyde is day-to-day with the glute. Jordan Poyer overextended his arm and his wrist and his elbow and had that awkward fall. I don't think it's a worry for those two. But how does Leslie Frazier game plan for a more suspect cornerback crew when it comes to going up against some of these top defense, top offenses rather that he'll be facing this year? I, I think there's a lot of pressure on Mr. Frazier, and he's my number three cause for concern. I think that is, I, I think that's a reasonable cause for concern, and I'm surprised you're more concerned about that than Ken Dorsey as offensive coordinator and play caller, who's never done it before. Yeah, you know, I I thought about putting uh, Ken Dorsey up there. I thought about giving some uh, concern for the new offensive coordinator. But I actually think that when you've got Josh Allen as your quarterback, I think you're almost (laughs) you're immune to some of those new. He'll help bring Dorsey along. I think those two have been working part and parcel this offseason to to get their development on track. Yeah, I'm I'm not too worried about the offensive calling, the play calling, how Ken Dorsey's going to run the show. Um, because again, it's all Josh Allen. You know, he's the guy who's out there free to make True. audibles, free to change up the plays. Um, I'm more concerned about the defensive side of things. And here's something that I've thought about, and I don't know that it's necessarily a concern, but I'm just going to throw it out there because it does have to do with Leslie Frazier. Von Miller is a right defensive end. And by the way, you... The alignment of the defense is from the offensive perspective. So if you're looking at it from the defense, that would put him on the left side. But on the right side, if you're the offense, Von Miller is a right defensive end. Greg Rousseau is a right defensive end. They are both far more comfortable on the right-hand side. And you saw it last year where Von Miller's statistics were significantly better when he was on the right side versus the left side. Greg Rousseau has never played the left side of the defensive line. Those two are the two top defensive ends, and they play the same position. Should we be concerned? I think that's a fair point to bring up. I think that what, again, and I have not been at a single day at practice, but I try to watch all the video highlights that the team puts out, that the reporters put out. I've tried to keep up with as much as I can of 
practice and training camp. I've been encouraged with what I've seen from Von Miller lining up at the left defensive end spot. They have been making cognizant mm-hmm. efforts to get him more balanced and more disciplined and practicing on the other side of the defensive line. But here's the other thing, Jamie. The Bills are different than the Rams and the Denver Broncos in that they're not going to have Von Miller be on the field for 70% of the snaps. That's just not what they do with their True. rotations. So he should theoretically be even fresher coming in and playing fewer snaps, uh, as should Greg Rousseau, as should the rest of the talented defensive linemen. So that's that's kind of what I have to say about that. Okay. I'm I'm wondering what they're going to do. I'm I'm curious if they're going to experiment with putting maybe AJ Epinesa on the left-hand side if he continues his ascent through training camp, then moving Gregory Rousseau to defensive tackle on the right-hand side and have Von Miller rushing the passer from outside of him maybe in a wide nine formation. They're going to experiment with all of that throughout the season, and it'll be interesting to find out what their most successful alignment is going to be. I think that's one of those key things to watch when the team opens up their preseason games against the Indianapolis Colts, of course, a three-game preseason before starting off this 2022 season at the defending champion Los Angeles Rams on Thursday night football. Jamie and I have spent the greater part of 40 minutes giving you some causes for concern for the Buffalo Bills heading into the 2022 season. We want to hear from you, our loyal listeners. Get involved on Twitter. Jamie is at the Jamie D'Amico. I am at John Boccasino. You can also comment on this story when it runs on buffalorumblings.com. Jamie, thank you so much. Great to have you back and great to be reunited. Buddy, it it feels so good. (laughs) (laughs) I tell you what, it felt so good. We'll do it again next week on the same bat time, same bat channel here on Believe a Buffalo Bills fan podcast.